phone and just go for it. Rock and roll. Yeah. Here we go. Live at the 7.30 a.m. hour with your host, Hunter McIntyre. How are we doing today, boys? Fantastic. I want to hear more from Eric, though. I can't, I can't even stop smiling, man. It's been too many years. You know, I think the last time that you and I actually spoke, I was sitting in my truck in front of the gym in Aspen, and we were doing a live podcast, you and Dylan and I, uh, pre- uh your Kokoro camp together. Yeah. Yeah, it was a throwback, and man. So that'd have been 2015. Yeah, it's probably been that long. I mean, you wow. and I've thrown thrown a few texts back and forth since then, for sure. Um, but I don't know that we've had, you know, a connection like this since since then. Not that I can recall. Yeah, well, it's been too long. To be honest, you're in my mind all the time, though. So the reason why we started this thing up and the reason I reached out to you, I I wanted to hear from you anyways, but I'm kind of taking a new chapter in life, trying to take on a whole new sport, a whole new direction. And I wanted to reach out to all of the coaches that were really formative in my experience and who I became. And even though you and I spent only a fraction of our lives together, they were impactful times and it really helped solidify the direction that I was going in. So I wanted to call these coaches and just check in with them, see what they're up to and kind of see the core principles on how they became who they were and how they really learn how to coach people. Um, and you know, you're fantastic. So I'm going to brag on you for a second. If you don't let me just, if you want to let me just roll with this, man, what a way to start the day. I think there's a little morning wood going on. (laughs) There you go. There you go. So, you know, I did just uh, I did a light dive, but it seems like you had this big shift in your life. Is it is the facts go on your LinkedIn? It says you were a 22 year veteran in the accounting industry, and then all of a sudden you wanted to make a shift. And now this is what made me really interested, because there's some people that were born starting as coaches, and then there's people that make the shift into the position of coaches. And often those are the people that inspire me the most because they feel like that true pull in that direction. Because being an accountant for 2020. 22 years, I'm sure you're quite successful. Um, and coaching, if you're not really like uh, Tony Robbins, may not be the most affluent uh, way to go about life, but it can be a really powerful way to go about life. And that's where a lot of cool experiences come in. So from there, somehow you picked up nine certifications in CrossFits. You owned Aspen CrossFits, and you were also in the Kokoro camp where you and I met, which is one of kind of the most pinnacle levels of coaching um, people in probably like the most intense and physical situations a human could be could go through. And like, that's to me, like it's a rock star resume. Not only do you work with people at the entry level in CrossFit, but you're also working with people at the probably most physically challenging thing you could possibly go through as a civilian. And so you have the whole gamut here. And I think that's an incredible spectrum for people to really kind of recognize. You're not just coaching Olympians. I think sometimes Olympians come in and they've got the mindset already built and you're just polishing the stone. Sometimes you're just taking this big rough blob of clay and you're really forming people into the direction that they want to go in in life. And I think that's going to be the fascinating part of our conversation today. Love it. Yeah. Well, I mean, you, you've hit on everything pretty much there just in, in a brief overview. Um, I'll give you the, the 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 shortest version possible I can, sort of going back to those 21 or 22 years too long, if you will, uh, in the uh, accounting world. Um, in 
2005. Uh, is that right? 2005, I was blindsided in my office with divorce papers. And I had uh, my daughter who was six and my son who was four. And it absolutely, it was one of the most devastating moments in my life. Um, at that time, I was probably consuming a half bottle of wine and two beers a day, seven days a week. Um, you know, wasn't uh, wasn't really training very much and decided that I needed to make some changes in my life. And um, exactly one month la later to the date, um, I went to the Hoffman process, which was the turning point in my adult life. Um, and, and, and looking back on that, that was literally the point in time where I pivoted 180 degrees. Um, haven't had a drink since then, so that's 17 years now, um, although that's not the purpose of the process. Um, I decided I didn't want to miss anything in my life and certainly wanted to, uh, you know, set a good example for my kids. So um, I knew Would that Would you say I wanted... that Hoffman really was your base, though? Like that's oh, been your base for the past 17 years? Honestly, Hunter, question whether I'd be alive today. And I'm not talking about uh, having dark thoughts in terms of ending the game. Um, but, you know, I was on a path that was, that was destructive in, in certain senses in my life. So that was absolutely, I, I think about all the things that I've done since then. Uh, not the least of which was Kokoro. Um, and I realized that that really, that was, that was, I can't imagine it have, having gone any better in terms of the ordering in which I did things. Out of a place of curiosity of somebody who'd be interested in maybe trying something like this myself, there's, there's Hoffman, there's um, people like, you know, Tony Robbins, what's the name? Yep. Joe Dispenza. Uh, Landmark Forum. Yeah. How did you, know, you get drawn to Hoffman process and what would be unique and special about it for anybody who's listening to this? Okay, so I'll, I'll, I'll answer that question, but I'll preface it by saying I can only speak about my experience at Hoffman because I haven't done the other programs. Yep. Um, I uh, started a business group in Aspen called, and I named it Six Degrees, short for Six Degrees of Separation, and it was a, it was a sort of, it was a business leads group. We met weekly and, and we each of one of us had to take turns speaking. Um, you know, you could have one person from each industry and it was sort of referring business to one another, etc. And there was a guy in the group who I became very close friends with, um, who uh, uh, local dentist in town. And I showed up at a meeting and became very emotional, but I didn't share what had just happened to me. And I'm speaking about getting served with divorce papers and and uh, a couple of days later was at a dinner party uh, or a housewarming party for my, literally my next door neighbor uh, who had just redone her place. And uh, this friend of mine, Lloyd came up to me and said, Hey, I don't know what you're going through, but I did this thing called the Hoffman process. And I think you ought to have a look at it. And you know, he's a little, he's, I'm, he's not a little bit out there. He's a lot out there, but he's a really good dude and has the wherewithal to go and do a lot of things. And so I, immediately went home and got on the computer and started looking at the thing. And I'm like, ah, man, I don't know if that's for me. Well, I called and inquired and pretty soon I was actually there. Um, and and it, it was literally the turning point of my adult life. And 
I know enough people, Hunter, that have been, have flown MIGs with Tony Robbins in Russia, have been to Landmark Forum, have been to uh, Mind Spring, have been to you name it. And, and there's programs out there that are, that are more geared towards um, addiction. Hoffman is not about addiction. Uh, in fact, you have to be dry from whatever your uh, addiction is for 90 days prior to going. Um, but I went and that eight days, it's now seven, but that eight days, I can hardly put it into words. And University of California wanted to do a study about Hoffman and at the blessing of the, of the process, because of course a study can go either way. Yeah. Um, they came back and said, this is the only process of its kind that has lasting exponential benefits. <laughs> and it's a minimum of five and more like 10 years of, of therapy in, in that seven days. So, um, you know, think about, I'm, I'm guessing you can sense my energy right now. I went to that thing 17 years ago. Yeah, I can tell it shifted. I'm going to a graduate course at the end of May, which is by no means a requirement, but I've been to a couple of them um, because life changes as we go through different phases of life and we deal with new and different behavior patterns. And it's really geared towards getting rid of negative traits and behavior patterns. So that really set the stage for the rest of the things that came in my life. Not, not the least of which, like I said, was Kokoro and certainly CrossFit came along in, in that sense as well. I'm going to ask you one deep question. This might be yeah. deep, but I'm asking it only because I've gone through personal experiences like this myself. And it's, yeah. it's something I think most people probably are always thinking about, but never really have the guts to say, do you think that that divorce was probably one of the worst thing that's ever happened to you or one of the best things that's ever happened to you? I mean, worst in the moment, meaning it was so painful, but best in the way that it shaped so much of what you have now. Like, do you well, think you would have gone on this path if you hadn't had that moment? I'm covered in think? goosebumps right now. I'm, I love the question. And um, I, I never use the frame phrase, I'm going to be honest with you, because if I'm not honest with you, what am I? <laughs> I say that too right? often. <laughs> well, you know, you know what? When when someone says that to me, my response immediately, as opposed to what? <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, sometimes right? you got to hold the punches. I thought about that when you were talking, and I was like, I really want to ask Eric this question. I don't want to offend yeah. him by any means. You won't want to offend me with any questions. I promise you. Yeah. Um. So I'm going to answer um, both in a sense. Um, it was the hardest thing I've ever been through. The, the moment I realized, and, and I'll just give you, the, I'll give you the, the, the brief synopsis of how it went down. So my relationship was by no means good. Um, there was no fidelity, infidelity on either one of our parts. We just, we grew apart. And, you know, having kids is challenging, but it's the best thing that's ever happened to me. Um, I mentioned earlier, my, my daughter was six and my son was four the day that the guy uh, came knocking on my door and said, I need to give you something. And I thought it was, I was in the throes of tax season and I thought it was something for a client. And I had said, just set it on my desk. Um, not the most official serving of documents, I would say. Um, I'm banging away on the computer. I got a phone on my neck, you know, holding the phone. And I look over and I see disillusion of marriage. And, and we did a lot of um, divorce litigation support work. You know, where are the assets kind of stuff. 
and I read down the document and I get to my name and I literally collapsed on the floor. Like this isn't real. Um, so had that not happened to me, I mean, the first thing I thought of was I'm not going to, I'm not going to wake up and go to sleep reading to my kids yep. every single night. You know, it's going to get, well, I'm going to get whatever I get out of this deal. So, um, I wouldn't have, my kids would not have got the father that they deserved as a result of that. Um, I would probably still be in the same industry. I'd probably still be drinking. Um, and I don't refer to myself as an alcoholic, um, in that I, I don't attend AA. And for those that do, it's one of the best things that's ever happened to, you know, numerous friends of mine, but I know that we could be sitting and I could have a beer and never have another one the rest of my life. But I take pride in the fact that I haven't had a drink in 17 years. So is it the best and the worst? You know, seeing what my kids had to go through, it was rough. But my life took a turn for the better as a result of that. And I wish nothing but the best for my my former wife. Yeah. So... That's a, I mean, that's, it's a crazy moment. I can't even imagine. I think that's honestly like one of well, my biggest fears as a, as a man is like getting involved and then having that somehow dissipate. And I think it's probably on too many of our uh, thought processes. One of my good friends just got engaged last night and I was so excited for him, but then there was this overwhelming yeah. level, level of anxiety that came with it. I was like, man, like, is it going to last? That was the second question that I had in my head. I was like, whoa. So it's a fearful thing. And well, I'll tell you what, you know, it's, it's, I would say it's nothing to be afraid of, but her and, and you also want to choose the right person. And, you know, we can have further uh, uh, offline discussions about the Hoffman process. That's not necessarily what today is about, although that's really what shaped me into being who I am today um, is going and really gaining an understanding of who the heck is Hunter McIntyre. And then finding somebody who's on a similar path of self-discovery, um, you know, that doesn't necessarily mean it's gonna make for the perfect relationship, but boy, does it give you a foundation to build from. Yeah. Yesterday yeah. I, had, I was supposed to go cycling and I get down to the place where we're all meeting up and my buddy pulls up with another guy I've never met before. He goes, hey, I just wanna pump up my tire real quick, my friend, and he, twist the tube uh sorry the the valve and he mm. unscrews the entire valve out all the air comes out of the tire and he's like i've got nothing left and he, i was like ah don't worry about it guys let's just go have coffee and catch up so i drive the guys into town this guy his name is paul he was he worked with red bull like he didn't really speak uh say too much he just was like just being calm and cool in the conversation and then I find out he's a trainer with Red Bull. He trains Olympians. He even, I think, maybe completed in the Olympics in track and field. And now he's on this, he's taking a PhD in psychedelics and plant medicine. Wow. Yeah. And, and he's sitting there and we're just talking. And like when you said, hey, who is Hunter McIntyre? He would talk to me about how he would pull, like he was very good at recruiting the top level athletes to get into these programs. And he would do it mm. based off of a lot of the conversations and notes that he could get. Like it just, if I said, Hey Eric, uh, let's say a dude threw a beer can at you from the other side of the bar, what would be your reaction? And if like, you know, the reaction was like, I would charge over there and like dismantle him. 
like that might be a good opportunity to turn that guy into an athlete. He's got fire. Not to say that it's a it's a hundred percent a good characteristic across the board, but this man just sitting there in a simple coffee conversation was pulling more out of me in my mm. life than I could get in probably ten thousands of hours of conversation with most normal people. Yep. And well, I think that comes from genuine. So I was thinking, you know, last night when I said, are we going shotgun style or are we going to do a little prep? Um, not knowing, you know, how today was going to go other, uh, other than the fact that, you know, it's going to be a interview uh, style. I was thinking about, you know, one of the characteristics of a good coach. And one of the things that came to my mind, first and foremost, is somebody who cares. Okay, and if I truly care about you, Hunter, I don't give a shit about what kind of car you drive. I don't care about where you vacation. I don't care about how much money you have in the bank. I care about like who you are as a human being, like what drives you, what lights your fire, you know, yeah. what truly ignites you and your human potential. What and I think that's like a, a, a key component of a good coach. So for you, you went through this transformation. You went into this experience. Now you went into CrossFit. Was it very shortly thereafterwards where you got into CrossFit? So I went through Hoffman uh, in November of 2005, and then I started CrossFit in October of 2009. So there was a gap in there. And, yeah. and, and that gap was really like thinking about, you know, what is it that I want to do? And, and actually, this is very important for me right now um, because I'm, um, I'm currently retired, but wanting to reinvent myself. And that four-year gap was what it took to get me to figure out what it is I wanted to do. And I, I forget. Oh, no, no, I remember what I was doing. I was researching um, whether or not there was some kind of Navy SEAL camp because I'd done a bunch of stuff post-Hoffman, leadership camps, uh, warrior camps, uh, all kinds of stuff. And sure enough, I landed upon Mark Devine's website and there's a link on the site with like a little video playing and it was us tactical crossfit and anytime i saw the word tactical it grabbed my attention so i click on it and there's a gal doing a workout and she's doing thrusters she's doing burpees and she's swinging this yellow cannonball with a handle on it i had no idea what a kettlebell was <laughs> and i thought i thought jesus that looks hard <laughs> so i thought I, I tried a couple burpees and i'm like okay i'm gasping for air and uh I started researching it and found out that there was a gym down the road from where I was in Aspen. And, uh, I went and, and, you know, demanded to be shown what this thing was. And they put me through a little 10 minute workout of pushups, wall ball and single unders and barely survived the 10 minutes and thought, okay, I'm going to do this. That was October of 2009. I got certified in January of 2010 and opened Aspen CrossFit. Uh, on May 3rd of 2010, um, took, took possession of the space in March of 2010 and built out the space over the next remaining whatever, you know. He, how long did you hold it for until like 2018 you sell it? I had 11 years. Um, so I sold it, walked away on March 1st of 2021. Oh, wow. It was that recently. Yeah. Oh, yep. wow, wow, wow. That's yeah. crazy. Yeah. It, this is what I was like going to say. Now, 
you all of a sudden are now in this position where, and when did you really get involved with uh, Kokoro? I know you did the research, but yeah. when was your first Kokoro camp? So let me tell you the story on that. Um, so in July of 2010, I had this couple come to town and I'm st I still talk to them all the time. It's just the most amazing couple. Uh, Dr. Glenn Waters, who's competed at the games three times as a master's. He's a maxillofacial surgeon in Cincinnati, Ohio. Um, and his younger brother, Ken, who is an anesthesiologist, um, put himself through med school uh, through the Navy, his brother, Ken. Yep. And uh, he calls. Uh, so Glenn calls me in Aspen and says, hey, my wife and I want to come train at your gym. And we want to ride our bikes. How do we get there? And I said, where are you? And he told me, and it was like two blocks from my house. And I said, I'm jumping on my bike right now. I'll come get you guys and uh, we'll go. And so it's one of those things where you meet and you know, you're going to be lifelong friends and um, just the salt of the earth people. And um, so we get about a block from his, uh, he was staying at his brother's house. We get about a block away and he says, so how'd you get into CrossFit? And I said, well, I was, I was looking at this thing called seal fit and he almost fell off his bike in the gutter. I mean, he's like, I just did that. And I'm going, oh no, here we go. And so we trained for a week, had a great time, became fast friends, uh, you know, just threw the gauntlet down for, for the better part of a week. Um, they leave. Uh, and in September of 2010, he calls me and says, hey, Eric, it's Glenn. Uh, what are you doing about that camp? And I said, nothing. And he said, what do you mean? And I said, I'm scared shitless of that. And he said, no, I'm serious. There's one more camp uh, this year and there's one spot left. And um, I said, well, sh I said, when is it? And he said, October 22nd. I said, that's my 45th birthday. I'm going. That's a sign. Wow. So <laughs> I called, did the interview with Divine, filled out the paperwork, wrote the essay and got accepted. And, and uh, then another spot opened up and his brother enrolled, not knowing a single thing about it. And then a guy from uh, from CrossFit Nasty, which is now Cincinnati Strength and Conditioning, uh, was enrolled and the three of us went. And uh, Glenn was allowed to show up and be the photographer and for, for the three of us. And he took some phenomenal photos. And it was the camp that was right after the Tahoe Throwdown, uh, which was rogue against, again, faster Get athletes. Faster. Tommy Hackenbrook, all those yep. legends came. Yep. Yeah. So can you imagine being there with the likes of Mika Salo and, and Kristen Clever? I was like, uh-oh. And uh, wow, what, a, what an experience that was. That's so cool, man. And yeah. you say... Oh, we got this, we got this little bit. Is there audio in, in here? Hang on. Yeah, I'm getting, yeah, I'm getting that. I'm getting, I'm getting the echo. Everybody, the echo. Everybody, pa everybody pause. Everybody pause. Now. Better? There yeah. you go. We're in. Here we go. Sorry. Uh, hey, can can yeah. I ask uh, Coach Eric a question? So you oh, said absolutely. You I'm on the the Seal Fit website. You just jump yep. straight from the top of the mountain because I see that there's like a 20 by X six hour, 20 by X twelve hour, the 20 XL, and then the Kokoro. Does it go in progression of, no. of these to hardest? No. 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 So those those all came, or most of those came subsequent to Kokoro because to go to Kokoro, uh, you, you have to want it. It's literally two thirds of the, uh, Bud's hell week. And there have been seals that have gone and, back uh, and for, for, for what, for whatever reason. Oh, go ahead. 
for whatever reason, have decided they wanted to go check out Kokoro Camp and said in some ways it was harder than the uh, the final Hell Week for Navy SEALs uh, BUDS training. Um, so those came subsequent. So there's, there's various different paths. Um, 20X, I think, was really geared towards corporate training, mm. um, going and taking a group of people. I almost said guys, but I've trained with some badass women. Uh, who've who've gone through Kokoro camp and survived a, against guys that were larger than life that didn't even last the first day. So um, Kokoro camp is the pinnacle, though. That's the uh, so there's there's no real progression to that. Mm. <clears throat> yeah, that says that is a extremely difficult on the on the level of difficulty and a historic fifty percent pass rate. Well, yes, and the the purpose behind seal fit mark divine was honor man of his buds class and i out of like 170 guys 11 finished and he thought this is this is absurd <laughs> you know there's got to be more warriors out there we got to figure out a way to reduce the dropout rate and so that was the really the mindset behind creating kokoro and then there became uh enough civilian interest that they allowed civilians uh like hunter and i to go and it is some of the deepest uh, um, uh, self-development a, a human being can go through. Um, Dude, you know, slaying the clowns. Wow. This is my second Kokoro camp. One of the guys, Eric, wrote a book. Wow. About the whole experience. I got it. it. Was... I got it. That's that's a. I love the title. <laughs> I think he was seeing clowns, and his he was hallucinating and seeing clowns. <laughs> wow. I, well, I know the hallucination factor in, in that thing. So, um, but I had said to myself, you know, I've done Hoffman, I've done these leadership camps. I want to do something that's going to test me physically. And you no doubt have to be at the peak of your game to survive Kokoro, but it wasn't the physical game that got me through. It was 100% the mental will to survive. You know, I, I thought to myself, I don't know if it's humanly possible to continue doing this camp. I'm so broken, but I didn't come here to go back and tell my members at my gym. Yeah, it was great, but I didn't finish. I'm not a quitter. Yeah. Yeah. So Eric was my, one of my coaches during my first Kokoro camp. And I think it was in 2013 or 2014. I think 2013. Was this the same camp that when you were paired up, you were paired up with a guy that wasn't quite up to snuff? And no, had, that's that's yeah. this one. That's uh, Mahmoud. I'll tell you some uh -oh. hysterical story. This dude shows up and he's Mahmoud. He's just he's got a beer belly that's you know you can't see his belt line really. He's wearing um, instead of like military you know ready boots, which we would consider to like combat boots. He's wearing Timberlands. And he's got like, you know, he's just there. And I don't think he trained at all. I don't think he trained for one second. And uh, we show up and there's me and they just immediately like, we're going to pair Hunter with this guy. Clearly the person who's, uh, you know, no offense to my mood, but he was the lowest man on the totem pole. He's messaged me since then. And I, I have utmost respect for him showing up. And he was a great guy for the time that he lasted. We were literally strapped to each other for the probably the first 90 minutes until he dropped. And it was one of the more intense experience I've had to deal with another human being. Because you know they're using like him to target me at the same time. It's my psychological game 
is a game that they're playing with him. And they knew it was going to make me upset. And I'm trying to be a good guy for Mahmood. And it was, it was rough, but, um, uh, well, sure. I can, I can, I can see where that comes into play because when, when it's go time, you're in overdrive and you've got this handbrake attached to you. Yeah, I know. Dude, look, <laughs> look right here. See that name? He's one, the, he's one of the first people in the beginning of this book. It's just, oh. yeah, it's so funny. Our inspiration wow. at late night, the whole weekend, we just go, when they were, they were getting after us, we just go, hoo yeah, my mood. <laughs> <laughs> Well, let chance. me let me let me just let me throw in a little a little uh, a teaser, uh, not not a teaser, but so as a coach, um, the cadre, if you will, is the coaching staff made up of some active, um, mostly retired uh, seals, and then there was a, a couple civilian coaches, um, one of which was me. And so we would have a debrief right before camp and every participant has to fill out a bio and, uh, you know, certain benchmarks for workouts that you do. Um, and you include a photograph. Uh, so hunters, uh, the last line in his bio. Now imagine a group of Navy SEALs reading this. First of all, he's got a picture with this, this, blonde afro if you will um this this seven foot um barbie doll and the last the last line in his bio was nothing phases me now can you imagine a group of seals reading that i mean that that was highlighted and passed around the table before camp started they're pissed right (laughs) so not only not only does he not only does he stick out like a sore thumb like which one oh that guy yeah okay out of the group of of 30 people Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it didn't take a whole lot to recognize who was who anyway, that, that's, uh, that was sort of the, the starting point. And I've got to say, uh, one of the harder people to break, um, the cockiest guy I've ever met in my life. And I think maybe some of that has mellowed, um, with age and experience, but, um, we did, we did discover that 17 minutes in 200 pounds of ice, um, Sheriff no likey. Yeah, I died. I died. I died. And they took a, they took, this is where it got the worst that we are in this bucket and I'm freezing and they're like, get underwater, get underwater. And I'm like, oh dude, like you've had me underwater for so long. So then they cut the top of a Poland spring bottle off and they have me breathe through it. And like at this point, my lung capacity is probably that of a field mouse. It's like this big. I mean, I, it was, I, I collapsed. That was where I broke. I, yep. I didn't cry, but if I had the water in my body, I was so dehydrated probably at that point, I probably would have cried. So they made you yep. a makeshift snorkel. Yeah, yep. God, man. I had long yep. hair too. At one point, it was in the pouring rain. They made a guy braid my hair while he was peeing his pants because they wouldn't let him get off the grid. I was just like, oh my God, this is so crazy. So was that was that event that you did part of the program, or they added it to the program based upon your? Oh body? no, there was a there was a uh, it, basically it was a like a horse trough, a big black plastic tub, and um, you know it's uh, along with st- sleep deprivation, it's a very effective tool to break somebody. You know, and it it was done in a safe way. I, I don't know that there's ever been uh, a participant that's gotten hypothermia because um, they know. 
there's staff on hand to to know uh, when somebody needs to come out of that. You start getting blue lips and whatnot. Um, but it's it's humbling. Mm. It's humbling. It's and it, and you're so you're freezing cold the whole time anyway. I've never the, I shivered to the point where I thought I'm not sure if I'm still shivering or if I'm actually convulsing. We just that that experience of always being somewhat wet and sandy is just sugar cookie. <laughs> it's just so crazy how that will just take like an Iron Man's will or woman's will and just shred it like a cheese grater, physically yeah. and emotionally. There's just never a comfort spot. And then you're putting on these Jansport backpack, like really crappy backpacks, and they just find these friction points and they just start digging in. And well, now do you, I don't know if you remember when we'd go in to put on dry kit, uh, pull off that 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 what used to be a white t-shirt, and everybody's back looked like they we were in a leper colony. You know, when an abrasion is yeah. wet and it turns white, yeah, just be covered with these white hot spots on our back. Yeah. Oh fuck. So I look so, back on that, Hunter, and you know, I'm just gonna I'm gonna reach over and pat myself on the back. That that's that's a milestone for anybody. I don't care what level you're at. Completing that thing, being there in the final group is a big deal. And nobody can ever take that away from us. Completely. I think yeah. it's uh, it's one of the formative things that I've done in my life. I've accomplished no two doubt. of them. And I, I went back a second time because I knew there was more to be learned a second time. It's like, I don't necessarily know if I want to. I just finished an Ironman. I don't know if I want to go do another Ironman because I don't know if I'm going to learn or gain anything from it. Not that it wasn't fun. But I think I could go to a third Kokoro camp and I could find even a deeper level of who I am as a person. And like, that's, well, that's why I was personally attracted. Maybe we need, you know what they, do you know what they say? Uh, the, the, go ahead, Ryan. I was just, I was just making a joke. Like maybe we need like a, a team staff to maybe start off at the tough, but uh 20 by six hour. Yeah, We're taking you no for the full Monty, dude. You're getting, you're getting, you're getting a full size Subway sandwich, not a six inch if you're going to go for it. Um, Do you know what they say the energy output is of Kokoro Camp? Mm -mm. Uh, And I bring this up only because you, you, you mentioned it. It's three back-to-back Ironman triathlons. Yeah, I wouldn't doubt it. Yeah. Back-to-back. 52 hours, is it? Well, I remember we started Sunday at noon and ended, uh, excuse me, Friday at noon and ended Sunday night, so... It's the better part of 60 hours with no sleep. So back into the coaching piece, you went through it. Mm. Now you're coaching people like myself and you have these, I mean, it's like almost an alter. Do you feel like you had an alter ego in this position where you were CrossFit Aspen coach? And then now you were also a Kokoro leader as well. And how is that the same person? Or is that one size fits all? My lessons to the person who's coming to their first CrossFit is the same message that I would convey to the person who's going through the 50th hour Kokoro camp. Well, I would say that my coaching uh, was an evolution of, uh, first and foremost, the Hoffman process. Um, I did a program um, through a company called Peak Potentials and went to a leadership camp. And I learned, you know, it's funny how things work in life. Um, I don't know if you ever saw the um, the YouTube video of the Steve Jobs commencement speech at Stanford, where he talks about the only way to connect the dots is by looking back. You can't connect the dots looking forward. And I look back on my experience and every single piece 
uh, up to Kokoro camp was this was the, the universe had a plan for me because at this leadership camp, there was a drill sergeant who taught us C formation, um, taught us the thousand mile stare, um, which when we were on the grinder at the very start of Kokoro, you know, that seemed like an eternity where you're standing there heel toe with your arms at your side, looking straight ahead. And there's people that couldn't resist looking around like, when is something going to happen? Um, I had a laser beam drilled in the back of the person's head in front of me. And I learned that at this leadership camp. So the, the coaching, the, the coach that I became was a result of a culmination of a number of the programs that I had done. So the, the benefit, I think, of the athletes that came through uh, and athletes, members, uh, visitors that came through Aspen CrossFit was a culmination of the experiences that I had. So um, being on time or early was critical in my mind. Don't be late to class or there's going to be a motivational consequence, you know, as an example, um, giving 100 percent at every class, even if it doesn't look like your best day. Um, so I think there was a level of care uh, on my part uh, that, that, that ran deep in the coaching. And those were the, also the kind of people I looked for to to be on uh, on the coaching staff at the, at the gym. No doubt I would have not been the same. Um, first of all, I would have never heard of CrossFit if I hadn't gone through all the things that I went through, including the divorce. Yeah. Um, uh, and and met, I've met some of the greatest people I've, I've ever met in my life um, through that, both uh, Aspen CrossFit. I mean, all the programs I went through, the people I went through Hoffman with, I still remember their first and last names. That was 17 years ago and still keep in touch with many of them. So for you, when you're trying to be a coach, and I think the coaching world these days is growing at a rapid rate that like is almost uncontrollable. Everybody's a coach. They're a life coach. They're a trainer coach. They're, you know, performance coach. They're a sales coach. There's so many coaches out there. And interestingly enough, I can only probably say like five coaches have made impacts in my entire life, you being one of them. And I'd make a call. And so for you, what are some of the core principles of being a good coach? What are some of the things that you want to identify in clients or I don't know if clients is the right word, but in people that you're working with? And then what are you trying to make sure as a coach as a level of accountability and growth standpoint is something you can connect with these people with constantly. Cause we have a yeah, coaching business and we have, we have hundreds of people, if not thousands of people at any given time working with us. And I think it's really important for me even to remind myself in a way I can do a better job. So uh, yep. part of the question. Yeah, no, that's a really uh, fantastic question. And, and I'll go back to what I said earlier. I think first and foremost, a coach has to have, a very high level of care. You have to care about somebody, yep. you know? And when you said there's like the, this rapid growing sea of coaches, it's like real estate agents. And not, not I'm not knocking real estate agents because there's some wonderful ones out there, but you know, anybody can do it. Yep. And I've got some friends that are, that are, that are dear friends that are at the best of the best in that world. But you know, anybody can go past that test. And it's for some, I think it's, it's a, it's a fallback for others. It's definitely a, a lucrative career. Um, so I want to make clear, I'm not, I'm not poking fun at that industry. Um, but in Aspen, there's like, there's like, I forget what the number is, but it's over a thousand real estate agents in a, in a population of like 10,000 people. Um, 
So you have to have somebody who, who cares about their client first and foremost, right? Because anybody can, can write a program on a board and say, three, two, one, go, right? And maybe a couple attaboys in there and, and good job, everybody. See you tomorrow kind of deal. So you have to care. The second thing, you know, when you talk about the guy who got the flat tire and got more out of you over a cup of coffee than just about anybody, you have to have a level of awareness uh, and a sense of how to read somebody, like what makes somebody tick. And that doesn't happen after one class. That happens over a period of time. Like what drives this person? What do they care about? Um, you know, what are their goals? I, I, th I think about a certain guy at my gym who got rid of a hundred pounds of body weight and has kept it off. And, um, you know, the opens coming up and we just ordered some, not we, the guy that I train with just ordered some 70 pound dumbbells. And I picked one up the other day and I'm like, no likey, <laughs> that's fucking heavy. And, um, you know, I think about John and that was 70% of what he got rid of and lugging that around Exhausted. 24 seven. Can you imagine what that, what the, what the a human system of organs goes through lugging that shit around? So you have to know what drives somebody. You have to also be able to determine what pushes somebody's buttons. I think my job as a coach was there to, to push somebody's buttons. We had some rules at the gym. Rule number one was be on time or early. You know, there's that saying, if you're early, you're on time. If you're on time, you're late. If you're late, you're fired. And there were certain people that were late to every single class. And it drove me nuts. It's like your time is more important than the other people that managed to show up on time who also have kids, who also have to make lunches, who also have to get kids to school and who also get to the gym on time. So this is my follow-up question while I'm on this note. How do you keep positive culture in there? You're a leader. Well, like you truly are a leader. You're not only an owner, you're a leader because an owner yeah. has to lead these people. These people aren't sitting down and eating food. Like they're coming in and going through a physical experience, a challenge, a transformative experience. And there's so many different body, minds, and souls in this room. And I'm assuming because it's Aspen, they also probably have a good chunk of change in their back pocket. So they probably have, you know, you know, high, um, you know, they well, think very highly of themselves, maybe. Yeah. How, how do you keep this culture and this positivity? Well, again, strength? again, that comes from learning how to read somebody. You know, you know, somebody who's going to take a comment well versus somebody that may be offended by that. And so you have to know everybody's first and last name. You got to know what they may have gone through to get to class. Um, and so that comes with caring and getting to know people. So there were people that I know when they walked in, I could say, welcome to the 805, you know, and they would just get a big smile on my face and drop and give me five burpees for being five minutes late. Whereas there's somebody that that wasn't necessarily going to work for, you know, you follow me? No, I get it. And there were, you know, going back to, to <clears throat> Kokoro, there were SEAL coaches one of which who comes to mind where you wanted to become invisible when they got into your <laughs> sphere of 20 feet. <laughs> and there were others who were sort of the, the, um, you know, there's the Dr. Jekyll, who's the fun, funny, but you know, he's going to absolutely kick your ass. And then there's the hide. That's like, I want to hide from yep. this guy. And 
you, you have to be able to to switch between the two. And so, you know, it was a pretty happy environment at CrossFit, even though, you know, the gauntlet was going to get thrown and everybody plays at 100 percent. But you got the music going and you greet people. And, you know, my I, I started at exactly the as soon as the clock ticked over, that's when class started. And when people would walk in late, you know, I'd look over and, and smile. Um, sometimes I would throw out the welcome to the 805, uh, Danny. <laughs> um, but it, it's got to be a fun, inspiring environment. And you, you, you got to know when to draw the line. Does that make sense? Oh, for sure. Yeah. So what's your formula for getting the most out of people? Like, for me... I, in my coaching process, always tell people that I can only give you, I can only give you so much. You have to give me this so that I can give you the next chunk. It's this game of basically playing catch. Yeah. So if you can't even catch the first ball I can throw to you, why would you expect that I'm able to throw so much else to you? Yep. And I tell them that very bluntly. I barely work with almost any one-on-one -on -one clients because I always come with them like a no BS attitude. And then our mass pr uh, production business, I try to come in and give like, you know, these nuggets of knowledge. Yeah. How, how do you continue progress with people and how do you find the differences of in flow of progress when there's so many different people in the room? Cause there's the guy yep. who's losing the hundred pounds. And then there's Tammy over here who just wants to show up and like, move <clears throat> five pound dumbbells and just have her movement for the day. What, what's yep. your, what's your formula well, for success? So w every prospective new member, aside from somebody who's been doing CrossFit for years and has just moved to town, um, who's welcome to come and, and join the gym. Um, or at least that's the way it was when I owned the gym. Um, every every prospective new member has to go through an intro class. And so there's a lot of Q&A and getting to know that person. And there's also a lot of dissemination of information that this is going to be hard and you really have to want it. Are you ready for change? Are you finally ready uh, for something that's going to be effective? And, you know, for those that decided that, that, that that's what they wanted to do, that's the path they wanted to go down, they come in and join. And as a, uh, as a good coach, you have to be able to take john who's in the process of getting rid of 100 pounds of body weight um who 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 is by no means able to do a single pull-up and come up with effective modifications for that person to bring them along to get them to the point where they're able to do because as you know as a crossroader you walk in you know there's that desire to want to be able to go rx which means that you're going to do the weights and the movements as prescribed as written on the board um, and that's not appropriate for many people. I mean, I don't, I've, I seldom do RX anymore. I want to be able to show up the next day. And that was the case all along, but there was a point where I did most workouts as prescribed. And you know, that, that's not important to me. I want to show up, get a great workout in and be able to show up the next day. And in, in, uh, well, I had the gym for 11 years and it's been almost, you know, three since. So call that 14 years. I've had one injury and that was a pulled groin. So that's a pretty good, that's a pretty good track record. Yeah. So it's, it's knowing, it's knowing how to appropriately give that person the opportunity to give their hundred percent on any given day. I like it.
So we're going to we're getting into the tail end of our piece here. So there's a chunk okay. that I want to get through, and then I also want to talk about your new your new chapter of life, which I'm excited mm. about for you. I'm on my way. I'm going to explain something. The reason why I brought you on here just for maybe some inspiration for myself and for some mm. listeners involved, because you're an inspirational person to me, at least. Uh, I'm trying to I'm just leaving my career of running in a sport called High Rocks. I've had a lot of success there. Um, and I just am 33 years old and I feel that I'm in such peak shape, but I can see I can see the end of the runway. I recognize that this this thing is going to have to end soon, not soon, but like, you know, my professional career. And I wanted to make a shift and I wanted to see if I could make it to become an Olympian. This grandfather right here was a master's and senior Olympian, and he changed my whole life and made me the athlete I am today. And I wanted to keep it in our family name, uh, you know, that Olympic tie. So I decided to take on a totally different sport called sprint canoeing. Um, it's just a tiny little boat where you're paddling all on one side, 500 to a thousand meters, pretty hardcore stuff with a team or solo, solo, solo. Wow. Solo. It's, it's all power output. I mean, it's just, imagine being on a skier, that same range of motion, but you're in a split and you're just like, Argh. so I was going to ask you, and I'm asking all of these coaches, when you see somebody who's wanting to make this substantial leap like myself, what are some of the core principles that you would leave with somebody like myself? And it could be the same person who's towing the line like minute one into Kokoro camp. And you have this moment in time, like three minutes to just say, hey, listen, shit's about to hit the fan. These are the things and the nuggets that I really want you to know and remember as you go through this journey. Yeah. And well, asking all great. the coaches this. Great question. And can I just, first of all, who was the photograph of? That's my grandfather. Your grandfather. God, yep. wow. I wear his watch wow. almost all the time. This is like, you know, he's Amazing. probably my biggest inspiration. Um, he was a heptathlete. He did all the throwing. Wow, fantastic. Okay, cool. Yep. Um, so what I would say to you, Hunter, and this goes back to uh, some of the things that we learned at Kokoro is that on Friday – don't think about Sunday, right? Don't think, oh my God, how am I going to get to Sunday afternoon? Think about how am I going to get through this next evolution? And so I know nothing personally about the sport of sprint canoeing, but I would say figure out what you need to do. And this would be through talking to um, either current or former sprint canoe athletes and figure out, okay, what is the next piece that I need to develop as an athlete? You can't do it all at once and figure out a, 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 a progression of what you need to do to become the best sprint canoeer in, in the world. We're on and, the path. Yeah. And start biting off, taking bites of that. Um, Cause you can't just go from go to woe. Yeah. Right. Completely. Yeah. So your your mental nugget is basically making sure you understand that it's small pieces rather than big pieces. It's yeah. the, the here and now rather than the future. Yep. That's a beautiful thing. And that's 100%. something I, I deal I deal with daily. Uh, I am in the water next to people that are so much better than me. And I know all of this potential is like inside of me, like almost with like mm. a straight jacket on. And I just haven't been unleashed yet. And I'm like, yeah. well, I, I, I know from from our history that that's how you roll. Uh, and so that's why I said, uh, you know, rein it in and, and work on aspects 
that you need to develop to become the best that you can be. And so I guess that, that what I'm saying is um, find a mentor. Yeah. I'm lucky. Which I got is couple, another couple. word of saying, you know, find a coach. Yeah. I'm, I found a couple of good people and, you know, you being one of them still. So for you, you've gone through this whole capacity of physical mm. accountant, physicality, transformation, uh, selling off your business. You're no longer an Aspen, correct? I am currently not an Aspen. I still have my home there. Um, yeah. And I'll, I'll give you the thumbnail of, of what happened. So um, as, as you're well aware, the pandemic hit on uh, March 16th, uh, to be specific, when the governor of Colorado shut us down. I, I was had the foresight to shut down the gym on the day before, just say, hey, guys, look. <laughs> I, and, and I laugh looking back on it because I put a sign on the door saying we're going to be closed for the next seven days. Little did I know that come July, we would still be limping along with minimal classes, a lot of outdoor stuff. Um, so, you know, I thought, oh, my God, you know, how are we going to survive this? Then my daughter had already left for university. She was over in Australia. Um, my my son was in the process of leaving, who I saw every single day. He was at the gym faithfully, which I think is part of what shaped him into who he is today. Um, and, uh, my son was getting ready to leave for university and I knew that I wasn't going to be able to see him for quite a while. And so I was going to become, you know, solo in the sense that both my kids were gone. Then my dad out of the blue, I get a phone call. Actually, I'm teaching a class on the 8th of July of 2020. And I, I ran in my office to get something. And I see that my phone has just blown up with missed phone calls from my sister, texts from both my nieces, from both of my kids. And I'm thinking, fuck, something's really up. And so I, I thought, okay, I got to just call my sister real quick. And she is absolutely in hysterics. You know, when you cry so hard, you, you can, it's hard to breathe. Mm-hmm. You know, you get the, <laughs> and I, I thought, I thought, take your time. And she was able to eventually utter the words, dad died. And I, I hit the, I hit the deck. I didn't know what to, I thought this is this can't this is like a like a bad nightmare. So anyway, so my son's leaving, my dad dies. They got to get out of the country because they're about to start charging for the quarantine in Australia, which was like $4,000. And I'm like, "Go, you guys, you got to go. You can't stay on my behalf." And so I'm uh, my dad's dead, my, both my kids are gone. Um I'm trying to figure out how to keep this gym afloat and was able to get the wheels back on the bus, get it rolling to the point where I was able to find um, uh, buyers who were twin sisters at the gym and um, rented my home and exited stage left to come and help my mom out. And so I've been out here in Southern Oregon and um, spent the winter last year in Australia. And I'm about to leave uh, in uh, on the 26th of this month uh, for the rest of the winter in Australia. And what I've become absolutely obsessed with is photography. And I don't have a clear picture on what's next for me. And at the beginning of the show, I was reminded when you asked me, so did you, uh, did you um, go from being an accountant to a CrossFit coach and uh, overnight? And I said, no, I actually hadn't thought about this, but it took me from November of 2005 until starting CrossFit in October of 2009 to figure out what it was I was going to do. And so I'm in that, 
I'm in that in between period, you know, I mean, I don't, I don't have to, to work per se, but I got to tell you, having all day, every day is not what it's cracked up to be. And so, um, I don't have that clear picture of, of what's next for me. I'm not, I'm not interested in selling my photographs at a Saturday market, if you will. I don't think I'm interested in having a gallery. Um, maybe there's some teaching aspect to it, but I, I can tell you that when I am out there at, you know, the crack of dawn for sunrise and get to take the most epic sunrise shot or the equivalent at sunset, you know, there's, there's, there's something about that that's hard to put into words for me. So I'm loving life. I'm traveling, spending time with my kids, spending quality time, you know, with my mom after my dad. They would have had their 59th wedding anniversary a month after my dad died. Um, you know, most people wouldn't take the time to do this sort of thing. So I feel very fortunate to be able to do it. I mean, I, I, I'm happy for you, man. That's awesome to be able to do, uh, do art. Like, I, I want to become a writer. Mm, you mentioned that. I, I want it so badly, and I, I know I'm not the kind of person that uh, half-asses things. Like, I'm already, like, getting back on the keyboard now, and I took mm -hmm. the whole last year off. It was my main goal, and I didn't get any of it done. Yeah. Um, and I just I, I want to have that freedom. So I would just say, man, like, congratulations to be able to have the opportunity to have the freedom, um, and that's, that's super rad, man. And the, it's so cool that you're getting to get, like – immediately when you said you were going down to Australia, I was like, that would be so cool. I haven't had mm -hmm. that opportunity in years because I'm so locked into sport. My ultimate dream is when I get re uh, retired from sport is to go do the PCT or the ACT. Oh, wow. Yeah. And just let 100%. go and just be like, I I'm going to leave the company to Ryan and I'm just going to be out there and just a tank top run butt naked through the woods, just on an adventure dude. I cannot wait. I Have cannot you seen wait. what the new world record is for the PCT? It's crazy, dude. I think it's it like was Tim Olson. Hours. No, no, not fifty-six hours. I think it's fifty-six days. Fifty-six days. Sorry, yeah, <laughs> no, it's yeah, like yeah. 56, fifty-six hours. Yeah, yeah, that's. No, I, I think had that's the number right. Tim Olson. Tim Olson. He's a blonde guy. He's just a. He's yep, a wild exactly. cat. Yeah, Absurd. I. We we do that occasionally, and we just will do these micro backpacking trips. And when I get done, I feel like I was on, I, I I'm on a drug. I'm like, how could this be so much more powerful and incredible? than the real life where I've got air conditioning and soft couches and televisions and fancy cars and nice restaurants. I'm literally eating food out of a hot pot with a dirty spoon. Yeah. And like my clothes haven't been washed in days. I smell terrible. I, I filtering water out of a stream. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, well, it's you, know, you know, high. The, you know what the essence of that is? And I think it holds true for my experience when I'm out taking photos is the, taking the time to go and connect with nature. I mean, we're so fast paced and device driven now, you know, it's like, fuck, I got to go back home. I forgot my phone. It's like, what? Yeah. We didn't it's have that when I was growing up. Like there was no phone. And I love, I don't know if you've seen that meme, the sports drink of my upbringing was a garden hose. Yeah. That's awesome. Right. <laughs> like commercials on TV were white, grass stained jeans and and spray and wash commercials about how to get the grass stain out now it's like what this pill's going to do to you yeah it's it's absurd but no seriously it's that connection to nature it's it's there's it's a real thing i think connection in general is being lost at this point mm. it was so crazy so i decided like i'm just trying every single time i have the opportunity to not bring my phone into situations and i went into starbucks yesterday morning and i 
it was it was myself and there was just one lone guy in the corner and i was waiting for my stuff so i just came down and sat next to him and i was like hey what's up man and i just had coffee with him i never would have done that and i'm pretty sure he ended he was a homeless person now that i think back on it and look at some of the features of him but it was a great morning it was greg we talked about life. We had a good time. We sipped on some coffee together. And I would have looked at my phone and just looked at pictures on Instagram mm-hmm. and read an email that did not need to be read at that point in time. And I got to meet Greg. Yeah. And I, I, I am smiling about that so much more than whatever I would have been scrolling on in the time. Well, it's, it's probably one of the first times, if that's true, that he was a homeless person. It's probably one of the first times in a long time that anybody acknowledged him. I had a great time with Greg. And acknowledgement is is huge. Yeah. So well, we hit the hour mark, and that's usually where we drop things off. And I okay. I'm fascinated by you at all times, and I really would like to continue to keep up with your journey. So so that people can follow you and be inspired by you um, and some of your photography. I one of my friends was looking at your pictures yesterday when I tagged you. Uh, what's your Instagram? It's at Eric E R I K. Yeah, John J O N Larson L A R S O N. So it's Eric with a K, John with no H, Larson L A R S O N. And just so that we so, can get, leave with something inspiring, uh, what are some ambitions that you have while you're in Australia? Give me just a couple big ones that you're reaching for. Um, to go well, my son is at uh, Copenhagen Business School, so he's going to be gone. So it's going to be one of the first times that I have solo time with my daughter. So I'm looking forward to doing some really fun father-daughter connection moments. Um, I'm looking forward to going out and photographing some of the areas uh, outside of Sydney, uh, where I spent most of my time last time taking pictures um, and really connecting with the couple whose uh, house I live at when I'm down there Um, and continuing my training. I took a year off. I didn't touch a barbell. It's and I do not recommend it. I now have a clear understanding of trying to get people who are going to take a break to come back to the gym. And I've I've lived it. It is gnarly. So continuing to continuing to train when I'm when I'm in Australia. That's rad, man. Well, if we yeah. make any connections for you while you're down there, um, I'll definitely I got some good connections. And you can have a good time with those guys. Uh, I appreciate you coming on, man. I think you've inspired you've inspired me personally, and I want to say anybody who's listening to this, guys, continue to follow Eric. He's one of those kind of guys who will honestly drop nuggets on you anytime you get the chance to connect with him. So, um, thank you again, man. And I uh, I just want to say I appreciate it, man. It's been almost ten years since I've known you, and I remember those moments um, very fondly. So very impactful, and I'm grateful. Well, I'm glad I had a, a, a lasting impression, and I'm quite frankly I'm flattered. Uh, that you reached out to me and included me in the group of coaches that have had an impact on you. And I'm going to just throw out if, uh, when you're ready, not if, when you're ready, um, let's further our discussions about the Hoffman process. I'm in, dude. I'm in. I'm right serious. On. Yeah. Yeah. All right, guys. Good. Thank, thank you so much for tuning in, Eric. We will see you again soon, hopefully, man. Okay, guys. Have a terrific day. You too, sir. Later, brother. All right. Talk to you soon.